Fun with Failure is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com. Hi, welcome to Fun with Failure, a podcast where we laugh with and at you about your flaws, fears, and failures. I'm your host, Dr. Alexis Calero. Let's have some fun. Our guest today is Samantha C. Smith. Sam is the founder and CEO of Vision, a color search engine for design lovers. They've partnered with the top colored companies in the world to help design professionals search by color more quickly and organize color palettes, as well as connect brands with color-focused design enthusiasts. Hi, Sam. Thanks for coming in. Great to be here. (laughs) So tell me more about Vision. So what I don't... um, Curious, based on this description, what is it exactly and what inspired it? Yeah, so Vision is a color search engine. We're the only uh, color search engine um, that's available via mobile app. We're focusing on helping interior design professionals as well as design lovers find things that can match their palette within their home. Um, The reason that Vision came to fruition is because my husband and I were uh, purchasing a bed, a beautiful like gray headboard and we went to celebrate that expensive purchase in uh, Davidson at Kindred. We were like, let's buy an expensive dinner for this expensive purchase. <laughs> so luxurious. Oh my gosh, I know. It's just a whole day of champagne and bedrooms. Um, and the bar at Kindred is this beautiful shade of green. And my husband said, oh, wouldn't it be great to get nightstands in that specific shade of green? And I was like, oh my God, per usual. Yes. And uh, spent the next two weeks Googling, looking on Pinterest, going to different brands' websites. Could not find the shade of green. I was thinking about just going and getting it custom made and decided that that was foolish and that this wasn't the first time in my life I experienced a color issue. Others had to have been experiencing this as well. And with the way the technology is, it's just kind of ridiculous that it wasn't out there already. So I was halfway through my MBA at UNC Charlotte. I quit because I thought it was one of those things that seemed very time-sensitive and uh, started the company. Oh, that's great. Color is really important to me. I'm, I don't, I don't know if it's a, a color junkie, a color enthusiast. I mean, some people it's much more important to than others. Yeah. I dated someone for about 10 minutes and then realized he was colorblind. <laughs> I was just like, <laughs> it just made me want to cry. Yeah. Like, I don't understand everything I talk yeah. about is color, you know? Uh, I love that. Yeah. And it, well, it's funny because when I emailed you to be on the podcast, I was, I said, my living room is painted juicy cantaloupe it's a color by glidden that is impossible to find other colors like apparel or furniture and you're like okay i'm in i love it yes i love a good color search story and for me i was almost um the opposite which i've never actually admitted is more I'm, i'm afraid of color um i it's so easy to go back into the neutrals but part of me always screams i'm like i just want something in here that pops but it just frightens the hell out of me that I'm going to pay for something. And like three years later, I'm going to be like, (laughs) that was a mistake. I also had a bright orange room as a child too. Um, It was a combination of like a cantaloupe and uh, Home Depot orange. And it was so bright that we had to change the color of our hallway because it changed the color of the white walls. Absolutely. Oh my God. I loved it. Like it was just, and I have a pop of orange in our uh, bathroom downstairs too. So it's, it's one of those things I'm trying to become more, uh, exciting with, but I'm pretty, pretty dull over like my clothes are always like pretty gray and everything like that. I love the idea of it. I'm just super 
nervous. So my app and connecting ways and different uh, things and how you can use color palettes and suggestions and seeing the whole room together, because really that's where my fear comes in is the matching component of how can I tie this into other elements and will that be too challenging for me to accomplish um, in my price range? Um, And that's really what, what we're focusing on. So tell me how it works. Yeah, so you have three different ways in which you can conduct a search. You can either take an image, pull the color, and start that way, use a Sherwin-Williams paint color, or use a Pantone color. So our goal was to try to hit everyone at uh, the different ways in which they might leverage color. So you can even use a hex value. I always say Ruth Bader Ginsburg by accident, so RBG values, (laughs) RGB values. It's like my weird feminist thing that always pops out by accident. I mean, I you don't have to apologize for that. I can't control it. It's so weird. Like, as, and the more I think about it, the worse it gets. <laughs> we are pro Ruth Bader <laughs> I'm totally pro her. Uh, so like, it's not a bad mistake. It could be way worse. Let's just say that. So you take one of those colors. You can either use that exact color or we give you suggestions as to complementary colors that you can use. And then you can instigate a search based on whatever's unnecessary in your room. And depending upon how you design your home, that could be with me. I'd see salt walls and I worked that way uh, backwards. Other folks use their like harder items that are, you can't replace. So your uh, backsplash, your uh, your tiles, your flooring, your granite, things along those lines and they build. Because a good home design or someone who really loves design, usually the colors um, aren't just in that one room. It somehow flows into the next mm-hmm. room. Yep. So you usually pick something heavy and then work your way out. I was not that intelligent. I was like, I like sea salt. We're starting with sea salt. Everything's built off of sea salt. And that's how I live my life. (laughs) So this is all for home decor. Is that correct? Like home interior stuff? Yeah. So at the beginning, this will just be in the lane of decor and helping interior designers. Future expansion will go into other verticals, including weddings and apparel. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's funny for those of you out there who have painted walls or especially white white is one of those colors where you're like oh it's white well which of the thousand variations so many. of white <laughs> yeah gray is very popular it's yeah. like one of the th- there's so many there's versions green, gray, of gray there's blue gray there's yellow it's yeah yeah and with like juicy cantaloupe that color again when you said home depot orange i recoiled like <gasps> It's not Home Depot orange. <laughs> that know. is a bright, disgusting. It's orange. Mine is juicy. It's soft. It's yeah. delightful. So it's it's so yeah. There's just there's so much variation. And mm-hmm. if you get it wrong, you know how many of us have bought something online thinking, oh, this is going to match. 100%. And yeah. it comes in and it doesn't match. 100%. And so that's the long-term game. What we want to do is work with brands to help them improve that process. So we're working with your Pantones, your Sherwin-Williams, um, different folks that like wallpaper brands, original art, to see how we might be able to extract a more accurate color data. It doesn't have to necessarily be perfect. And by perfect, I mean um, there are color specialists who, when they manufacture color, they if they're building it here and they're producing it in China, how are they going to ensure that that color is the same? And similarly, if it's even in one dye batch compared to another, they can differ extremely. Um, So we're not going to get down to that level of granularity, but we're going to get close enough where if it's in a room, you're going to go, those two things are basically the same color. Because that perfection level is just, uh, I would say it's impossible to achieve. And anyone who's um, familiar with color, that's at the first thing that they say, they're like, how are you going to do this? And I'm like, well, what's lucky is we're starting from um, the ground floor. <laughs> like we're not competing against someone who's already figured it out. So we're starting from a level of just helping people with that first step. And our goal of improving our technology is working with those different brands to perfect how we can communicate color across the board to give some sort of 
um, comfort and confidence as you shop online. Because that'll solve a lot of problems, including returns, which um, in the environment that we're in, returning is very easy to do. And people or the retailers lose a lot of money on it. So that's what we see in the future as a big source of revenue for us. I want to ask about the UNC story. So you decided to go to business school. Right. And I want to know why you decided to go. And then do you see dropping out as a failure or do you see it as, you know, I'm assuming that you saved money dropping out of business school to, and put that money towards starting an actual business and learning really as you go. Yeah. I mean, hindsight's 2020, of course, for me, I was at a startup before my startup and it was in a fintech space and that really wasn't my, uh, my jam, if you will. Um, I, am in a sales background, sales and customer experience. Their sales cycle is almost, uh, eight months to a year regularly. So it's just not super sexy for someone like me. And I, I just did not see how I was going to grow what my next step was. Um, I was the VP of customer experience at virtual Strongbox when I left. And so I wanted to go back to school to see if it honestly could give me direction. I was, I just felt as though I was aimless at the moment. And again, I never thought I would start my own company. So I was like, what's the next step for me? Uh, I thought maybe it would be something in consulting just because I'd experienced a few different things with my, I had been in corporate, I worked at Dell and then being in the startup, that startup was acquired. So I went through that transition of how to do that and then started the next company. So I thought that was the next logical path. And yeah, halfway through school, had the idea for vision. I felt so, um, and I still do obviously, but I felt so confident in the fact that, um, this was something that was necessary. I spent a, it wasn't a rash decision. I didn't just go, um, I'm out, <laughs> hands cleaned. Um, I gave myself four weeks cause that's how long it was until uh, the next check was due <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> for, yeah. for, uh, Cha-ching. the program. Yeah. So I was like, um, uh, and I spent every single night pitching vision and researching it and making sure that I was making the intelligent choice of, um, why it should be now, um, what it would take. Could we swing it? Yeah, it was it was that pitch to my husband and um, a week later him coming around <laughs> or so that I went, yeah, uh, wipe my hands of it, done. Would I have done school again? Probably just because I, because I'm not sure at that moment it was the right thing. Sure. Um, but I guess if I could recommend to anyone else who, that's the hard thing is I didn't want to start a company either. So um, I would just recommend joining a startup if, instead of doing business school because a lot of the lessons I had learned firsthand and it felt like it was being repeated back to me just from someone lecturing. But I don't view it necessarily as a failure. Um, I'll be honest, I'm one of those, I really think failure is really in the eye of the beholder. <laughs> if you ask me if I failed at anything, I would really struggle to tell you anything I've failed at. And not because I haven't, but because I've always viewed it as um, a necessary evil where it's just that one step, that thing in the road that I had to jump on to get to the next thing. I was saying this to my niece this weekend about she's doing a speech at her graduation. And my favorite quote is the Steve Jobs, because knowing the dots will connect down the road will lead us off the well-worn path. I'm a firm believer in that. I just, I always look backwards and go, it just makes a lot of sense that I'm where I am right now. But back then, this definitely would not have, you never could have told me. three years ago that I'd be sitting here talking about my own company. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. So one of the questions I ask other guests is, um, what's your definition of failure? So it sounds like with that sort of semi definition of failure is a necessary evil, Mm -hmm. right. And that not necessarily 
thinking of your failures as mistakes, but just as dots on the road, right? Because yeah. everything that you do has sort of led you to here, so it's not necessarily a failure. Yeah, I, I honestly, got, and I know that sounds really um, narcissistic, but I, I couldn't, I really couldn't tell you when I've failed because, I mean, this is something my mom taught me when I was younger. Her, her whole methodology was if you literally tried your best, if you gave it everything, then um, that's all you can ask for. Sometimes the chips just aren't, it's nothing you can control. There are a lot of things that I can't control. If I'm at a pitch competition, um, I can't control if the person will get me. Like I was in Charleston and these people just did not understand vision. So it's just one of those things like no matter how great I did at that pitch, it would not have mattered to that individual. And knowing that those things aren't in your control, it, um, I think it makes the blow that much easier. But I've always just had this mindset of um, if I went into it, if I know for a fact I've tried my hardest, there's literally nothing else I can ask of myself. Yeah, so one, one of the questions I often ask is, do you like to fail? But then here it's sort of irrelevant. Yeah, I know. That's why when you asked about me being on this podcast, I was like, God, what will I talk about? No, <laughs> but that's yeah. what I, that, I mean, that's what I love about having guests who come on with such different ideas of failure, yeah. right? Because I mean, I've sat across from people here and asked, you know, what's your definition of failure? Do you like to fail? You know, and they'll say, no, I hate it. Yeah. And that's sort of where I was for a long time. And it's one of the reasons I like the podcast and the idea of bringing people in is to figure out, oh, like, because some of us hate it, <laughs> right? Yeah. So what are, the, what are the ways that, what are some things we can do to hate it less? Or what are some things we can do to embrace it? Because it's such a normal part, one of the human experience oh, yeah. and also of the entrepreneurial journey and in business. So I, I mean, yeah, there are no wrong answers on the podcast. That's good. Cause well, I mean, you track back and you're like, have I ever failed at pitching just as an example? Yes. Like I crash and burned my very, very first time, but I viewed it as literally you, I walked off that stage and went, well, I shouldn't have memorized that pitch. <laughs> I had a pitch the next day. I was like, we're not going to go in memorization. We're going to go in a totally different tactic. And I thought I did extremely well that pitch. Both judges hated, like weren't a super fan of me, but yeah, I, I felt comfortable and then I learned that's okay. That's how I have to do it. So I guess if you really break it down, it's about learning, but I never viewed it as me doing it wrong. I just viewed it as uh, that strategy wasn't my my personal win. I wouldn't have known that unless I had tried it though. Chris Elmore was on the podcast a while back and he said one of the things his mentor said was failure is, is an event, not a person. Right. Which I think is also just a really great way to think about it. Oh, yeah. And it could also be applied to strategy in this case. Yeah, that's it. Uh, for me, it was my, yeah, the first time. Um, and I try, I pull people in and I, and I try to do as much as I can bouncing off of others. But I really don't know how I will personally react until I'm exactly in that position. And yeah, pitching, people look at me and they assume that I'm super comfortable on stage just like it's just like talking to you, but I get just as nervous as everyone else. Um, I panic. I'm hypercritical of everything that I do. And I, I practiced and I practiced and I just bombed. It was just terrible. And I had friends in the audience too. That's always the worst. It's when that, people see yes. you. <laughs> yeah. When you're blind and no one's there, you're like, if no one saw it, it didn't happen. It's like a tree falling in the woods. <laughs> right. Uh, when people are there, it's like, it just hurts that much more. But even on my worst day, people think I do well. And that's, uh, it's another thing. It's, I'm always going to be my own toughest critic. So. So how do you bounce back from that? Like if you have a pitch that doesn't go well and your friends are in the audience, how do you bounce back? I give myself, I tell myself how much time that I'll give myself to be upset about things. 
And I think about, um, I try to put myself in someone else's shoes where I'm like, how long would I give them before I get annoyed? (laughs) Where I'm like, you can complain, but I'm going to give you this long. And that's how much I give myself. So obviously there are certain things in your life that are huge that you can be upset for for a while or an indefinite amount of time, like a death. But something like a pitch competition, I think up to myself, will I care about this tomorrow? Will I care about this next week? And I add 10 minutes based on how many days <laughs> I'll think that I'll be upset about it. Oh, so. I love it. You actually have a formula. Oh, yeah. So it's like, get over it. I'm going yeah. to study. I'm going to yeah. write this formula down. You I'm going to try this formula. You just go to the time and you're like, yep, it's 3.30 now on to the next one. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I mean, there's certain things that are way more upsetting than others. Um, that pitch competition, that was a five minute or like that was like... At the moment, I said to my friend, man, that sucked. And she was like, hey, you know, you could have done better. I'm like, yeah. And then that's it. Told my husband once, too, because I like to report back how I do. He's a, a personal investor just from investing time and yeah, absolutely, <laughs> funding the commitment. So, yeah, I have to tell him everything. And reporting to other people and being honest about um, how I've done, too, not sugarcoating anything, um, that helps, too. So, Right. Yeah. Well, it's also a way to sort of be honest with yourself and figure out what worked, what didn't. And then if you're, again, if you know it didn't work, but I tried my hardest. Yeah. Okay. Now move forward. Keep going. The toughest thing with, and sorry to go back to pitch competitions. The toughest thing about that is when you lose, but you think you did really well. And everyone's natural reaction is to justify why they lost. And they're like, well, it had to be that, that guy with that question. But uh, that also isn't helpful. It, no matter what, if, um, and I said this to my interns who started today, if they have a question and it's something that I had said previously, it's not their fault that they inherit. I didn't um, explain it clearly enough. It all comes back to me and whatever that reinforced negative opinion is, that guy who didn't get it, um, I can't communicate to everyone. That's just a fact. Mm-hmm. But there had to have been something that I could have done to um, lay into the numbers more or, or do something more that would have been on a one-on-one setting. He would have understood it. Because I do think anyone can be flipped. I think you can always win. <laughs> but it's about the strategy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can talk about pitches all you want. My company's named The Pitch Prop. <laughs> so uh, this is what I help people do. There so you I'm go. Like, I love it. Talk all about it. I love it. It's yeah. Soreness and pain isn't always the result of activity. This is a 60 second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina. Prolonged sitting in a car or at your job aggravates muscles and joints and can cause pain. A standing desk can help. The key to alleviating the discomfort that sitting can cause is changing positions more frequently during the day. Alternating between sitting and standing at your desk, in addition to taking walk breaks and stretching, can work to loosen those tight muscles and joints. The perfect standing desk should be high enough so your computer keyboard is at elbow level and your monitor at face level to avoid neck strain. Before you start standing at your desk, take into consideration any knee or foot injuries and wear flat, comfortable shoes. This has been your 60-second wellness tip powered by Ortho Carolina, official team physicians of the Carolina Panthers and proud sponsor of the Queen City Podcast Network. For more tips or to make an appointment, visit orthocarolina.com. So let's jump into the lighthearted lightning round to kind of pull back a little bit from vision. So what's your non-work-related superpower? I'm great at um, planning, (laughs) organizing trips. Uh, my, I usually put together a PowerPoint with pictures. Oh, I love it. And it's what a nerd. Uh, it's everything. I plan everything to a T. Um, I always leave room for a little spontaneity, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Can't be too crazy. Um, but, uh, my husband always 
brags about my uh, trip planning skills because I, I, yeah, I get very in depth in making sure you get the restaurant experience because I think that's the most important experience when you're traveling and yeah, everything to a T is always mapped out. Yeah, well, if you ever need a side hustle, you could do that because I, my mom thought I should have done that too, but oh man. <laughs> also, side note, I highly recommend the movie Wine Country. It just premiered on Netflix. I did watch it. Did you? Oh yeah, my <laughs> husband and I watched it because we love like the Amy Poehler Tina Fey. Oh, we're me super too. into that. Yeah. yeah, it was pretty good. It was it was very funny. Yeah, yeah. When Paula Pell takes her new knees out for a swim, that was pretty. <laughs> that was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So superpower planning. Mm-hmm. What's your kryptonite? My weakness, mm. like yeah. a non-work related kryptonite. It's probably my husband, I guess. Um, yeah, I guess. I don't know. That's what's. He's the only person who. I probably like care like anyone could probably be critical of me and I'd brush it off. If Steve does it, I think about it for a really long time because he's, he's very, uh, he's in my opinion, usually right. Like about everything else. So I'm like, and he's very, he thinks it out. He doesn't just say things. It's nothing ever really super mean, but I've learned a lot from him. One of them is being uh, argumentative. I'm, I'm pretty opinionated and, um, learning how to back off of an argument or realizing when it's not, important enough to fight for realizing battles aren't don't all have to be fought we have a safe word for when i get too into it nice <laughs> yeah so if we're in a then i feel myself getting passionate he's like juxtaposition <laughs> <laughs> and i know have to like reel it back because <laughs> i do i get so passionate uh and uh, yeah he he helps me recognize that sometimes that's smart that's a good i think that's a good relationship strategy yeah. right so i think every couple probably needs a safe word oh yeah. In one way or It's another. only for fighting with others. Steve and I, um, we agree on almost, uh, we're one of those creepy couples that agrees on everything. So whenever he ha- points something out that's different than what I'm thinking, I, it takes me, I think about it. Yeah. Um, I, and you usually come back that he's right. So <laughs> he's my kryptonite just in general. Well, he might love hearing that. Ugh. I don't know. <laughs> he knows lo- it. Everybody loves hearing, yeah, that person's usually right. Uh, yeah. Oh, he said that about me the other day. We, yeah, we go back and forth. He doesn't admit it as readily as I do, though. <laughs> That's all right. That just means you're the bigger person. That's, <laughs> thank you. Let's <laughs> do that on a loop. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, what are you afraid of? Either a rational fear or an irrational fear? Um, or both? I don't have very many fears. Losing Steve would probably be my number one. Yeah. And then cockroaches. <laughs> probably, those are probably it. It's probably pretty smart you didn't reverse those. Yeah, no, but he knows. Like, I made him. We got a cockroach. First of all, we have, like, bug people at my house. I take this cockroach thing very seriously. What do you mean, bug people Like they c- Like, I cut every single cost in my life. Like, I haven't cut my hair in, like, two years. And, oh. Uh, we still have bug guys come and spray because, you know. Um, I thought you meant, like, you have people who love bugs oh, at your no. house. No. <laughs> no. Okay. Uh, no. But um, I found one in my garage, and I didn't go back in. And I told him that um, I will never go back in until he, like, shows me a picture of the body. <laughs> I was like, I won't believe you. He FaceTimed me. This was at my last startup um, with him and the body of the cockroach. He's like, we got it. <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> that's probably, that's my irrational fear. Okay. If, um, if you could change one thing about yourself, what would it be? I've been working on it actively, but um, being a better listener, probably. 
Um, I have a tendency to uh, stop listening because I'm thinking of my next thought to say to you. Sure. Yeah, a lot of people do that. Yeah, that's. uh, I'm not very good at uh, doing them both at the same time. So I've been actively in my meetings writing down what I'm thinking next so I can pay full attention to the individual and not cut them off because I have such a memory lapse. And if people go into multiple things, I have an idea for each thing that someone says. So uh, I always tend to cut people off. So just a better listening type of skill, I guess. Do you think there is anything fun or funny about failure? I I mean, I guess maybe it's funny in that um, something that may have upset me for those 10 minutes was so irrelevant, but I I usually actively think of that as as I'm processing. So um, fun or funny? Yeah. Mm, That's a tough one. Thinking about it too much, there's no reason. It's like worrying. You're only like hurting yourself twice. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel about uh, failure. Yeah. But I haven't I let's I haven't failed to such a massive degree where I've brought other people down with me. I think if if you asked me if I had a failure where it impacted someone else, if I failed a vision then I'm hurt I feel as though I'll be hurting uh, my husband, the people on my team that then I will probably will never find that very funny <laughs> or fun. <laughs> but that's probably the only time that I'll say like, "Oh, I did fail." and, and really feel it and sit in it. Um so I, I think if I ever really came to terms with something that I actually failed at, I'm not sure I'd be able to find it very funny. <laughs> yeah, got it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have a favorite funny or embarrassing personal story that you want to share? Funny or embarrassing? Oh, here's, well, here's kind of an inappropriate one, but I think it's okay. Um, what was it? I was talking to these salespeople who were doing our lead gen, and I told them that I wanted... Um, um, I wanted it to be like super when they're talking to them, like um, people to get excited. I, and I, I wanted to say, I want to leave their mouths watering. And I said, I want to leave them wet <laughs> in the mouth. <laughs> oh. That was last week. That's the kind of stuff I do. That was last week. All the time. Yeah. So still inappropriate, but that's like the, I love you so much. Thanks. Yeah. But oh my God, I was so embarrassed. I came downstairs to my husband. I was like, I cannot believe I said this. And we were sitting with my mom and she went, Sam's feeling wet in her mouth. And I went, okay. Just the inside of me is like curling in. I'm like breaking a cold sweat. Like just talking about it. It's not good. Anyways, that was my last one. Oh, I love it. That is fantastic. Yeah, don't you just feel uncomfortable listening to it? Yes, but it, <laughs> it triggers all of the things that I've said in the yeah. same way. Ugh. So I relate to oh that. What very, did those men think? It was on all male's team, which is like typical sales things. But what do they think of me? I was like wet in the mouth. Ugh. Ugh. And, and they're like, we ended the call like a minute later. I was like, <laughs> and scene. Yeah, I was like, I literally went, I don't know why I said that. Mm. <laughs> That's so embarrassing. So that's kind of the thing that you would go back to over and over and over again, like thinking like not necessarily that it was a failure, but like, cause I tend to think, or I I, I treat myself when I think embarrass, oh God, you just embarrass yourself. Like, oh God, why did you, and I think of it as a failure. I'm getting bad. I mean, I also think it is hilarious. Yeah. So, but yeah. Oh, I love it. Are there any products or services that you use to make you feel like less of a failure? Hmm. Although you don't feel like a failure. So what pro- let me let me rephrase that. What products and services do you use that you would recommend for other entrepreneurs or just people that things that make your life better? Products that make my life better. I mean, I guess just which is like it's, I feel like it's not very smart advice. I, I just write everything down every day. That's uh, and because I 
to your point about failing, sometimes it's the just the day-to-day actions of not accomplishing all of your tasks, especially when you compare yourself to other entrepreneurs, which is what I, what I do very frequently, um, especially like I'm waking up at five and I go, oh, Amir from Rabu would be up <laughs> or Meggie would be up. Like, don't be a little pussy, like, and which I shouldn't say pussy because that's negative towards women. But figuring out that um, not to compare yourself to others and then what you can accomplish in a day uh, might not be similar to what they do but it could be different so writing down for me like what I should accomplish and uh, what's a stretch um, I've made it through that entire sheet once I think in the last two years where I actually accomplished everything for the day and I was like I went and got wine with friends I was like guys (laughs) this is the best day ever (laughs) like this who saw this happening not me definitely not me and uh yeah, that's so making sure I'm uh, rational or uh, have an understanding of what's accomplishable. That's that's been a huge feat for me. And writing it down every day has been essential to that. Yeah, I don't know. That's such like a basic. It's not like a tool, <laughs> a pen <laughs> and paper <laughs> that's next to me all day. I literally I have it everywhere with me. I take a picture of it if I'm not next to it. Kids just got to keep going. If I have a lapse of third, I carry my computer with me everywhere I go. If I have 30 minutes extra, I'll knock one of those things out because mm-hmm. uh, I had a hard time sleeping at night and that was the only cure was knowing that I couldn't manage it. Yeah, I think that's great. Chris okay. Elmore said the same thing. Oh, pen, did he? Pen and paper, write it down, oh, check it every single day. Just me copying Chris Elmore again. <laughs> <laughs> just living in his bearded shadow. <laughs> so um, where are you from originally and when did you move to Charlotte? I am from uh, the D.C. area, and if you're familiar with D.C., I'm from Fairfax. Um, I always say Washington, D.C., and, and whenever someone says, what part? I'm like, oh, someone who knows. Um, so, yes, yeah, so I'm up there. Um, my husband, and I, I know I mentioned him a lot, but he's definitely an influence. I definitely would have started a company if this ha- didn't happen, this move, because I would be very cozy in what I was doing before. But uh, my husband, when he was out of the Navy, was nervous to find a job. Um, rightfully so, and actually moved to the middle of nowhere, uh, Kentucky, to work for Kellogg's. And uh, he uh, was obviously the love of my life. And so I was like, I just have to figure out how to get to him. And I worked for my first startup uh, doing sales remotely. I couldn't find a job in Kentucky. So I got into that startup simply because I had to find a way to get to him. And then while we were there, it was literally the worst place in the entire world. And I would never recommend it. But it was the small town, 5,000 people. There wasn't a, the closest Starbucks was like 45 miles away. Yeah, no, that was the worst. So I, my parents, um, they were uh, successful in the financial institutions up in DC and had been coming down to Charlotte for uh, to visit my aunt and they decided to get a lake house here on Lake Norman. And we used to use their lake house as an, like an escape uh, because my parents hadn't retired yet. And every time we came here, my husband was like, Oh, it's so perfect here. And he too, DC was too busy for him. And since my parents were moving down here, I thought it was a good medium. That was, uh, four years ago. Okay. Yeah. And, um, it probably took me three years to start liking Charlotte. I just, uh, it, it, there wasn't enough. Like my husband, we never go to the same restaurant twice. Or that was my just theory in life. You should never go to the same restaurant twice. You should always try new things. And like, you never know. Um, and we had gone through all the restaurants and I was like, this just place doesn't have enough. I was getting very, uh, it felt tied, <laughs> tied down. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't until I started my company and I met like this tribe of uh, founders who I really love, like Macy from Maze and Amir from Rabu that I was like, what it really was is I just didn't have people. 
and I was equating it because I had my husband and if you have your, if you have him, you have everything, but I didn't have people who really understood the other side of me that is not necessarily his thing, which is the um, entrepreneurial spirit, I guess, or that ability to just say, get and go or flirk it. <laughs> Flirk it and go. Um, Yeah, and I met people who could, who challenged me more so. And it's such an interesting environment here in Charlotte, how people interact. I don't think it would be like that in DC, which made me value um, Charlotte in a way that I hadn't previously. Um, What would 10 year old Sam say about where you are now and what you're doing? Uh, She probably wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. 10 year old Sam was uh, just a little bit louder and more opinionated. Everything that I've had to try to pull back, but she's pretty much the same person. <laughs> yeah. This unstoppable and just, yeah, forced to be reckoned with. What was she into? What were you into at 10? Oh, Spice Girls. Um, I was super short. I was, um, they didn't think I could handle the level of soccer. I was in uh, like travel soccer and all that kind of stuff. And uh, um, I was like, the smallest person on the team. I didn't, I'm now for, for all those viewers out there, I'm 5'11", so I'm very tall. Um, uh, so that, that change, um, I, I don't know. I wasn't very popular. Like I, I wouldn't say I, I am today either. I have a lot of close friends, a handful of friends, but yeah, I'm pretty much, the, I would say I'm, I would argue I'm the pretty much the same. I think my mom would argue it too. Just, uh, curse a lot more now because she's not here to tell me not to fair fair enough yeah i know a little bit more math too but <laughs> i feel like i knew less math yeah <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> i really skipped the fractions back then so <laughs> that was a huge detriment during the sats <laughs> should have paid more attention <laughs> all right i have two questions left um one is do you have a favorite go-to song Ooh. that energizes you oh my god makes you feel good like for so for people that are not having fun with failure? Is there a song that you would recommend they listen to? Oh, man. So I have hype songs. Yeah, I totally hype do. song. Um, so like before pitching, <laughs> I do have a song, uh, Toxicity from System of a Down. Like I just love, if I can remember what I want to say through like that, I feel great. Um, I like Jay-Z on to the next one was always something that I liked to play. Beyonce is always a good go-to. <laughs> what else? And then just classics like Sabotage from the Beastie Boys. Yeah, immigrant yes. song. Yeah, those cla- those are like I really have a I have a hype mix that I listen to every day at two. I, I have a routine that I start losing concentration at two, so I'll go on a hype run at two and I'll sl- play my playlist and think and all that kind of stuff. Not necessarily running, like I try. <laughs> That's probably the worst part of the hype run is the running. So That's always the worst it part. It usually of ends run. up in a walk. <laughs> and when people see me, I'm like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I was just moving my arms like in a running fashion just for everyone listening. <laughs> gotta pretend fake it till you make it <laughs> i love that you have a hype song for pitching yeah like uh, my husband right it came into me like doing my hype pitching uh, <laughs> like i literally play it and i'll pitch while listening to it because if i can get through that without the distractions i'm not as worried and he's like that is the weirdest thing i've ever seen but it's like yes <laughs> i think it's great that's what i recommend when i work with clients too oh really yeah hype yeah. songs and pitching while distracted that's it yeah exactly yeah. so it makes it way easier when you're actually in it Awesome. Okay. So my last question is what advice do you have for female CEOs or women that are considering getting into the entrepreneurial space? Mm. I would say 
they're considering getting into it. I mean, the first step, what I would say is always uh, get into a startup that'll let you sit at the table. Not just getting into a startup isn't enough. I was extremely lucky that um, I was given a front row seat to all of the interactions and the hardships that come with being a CEO, which is why I didn't want to be an entrepreneur. But once it came to the fact that I um, had the idea for vision, I felt more than confident knowing that I could handle it because I saw someone else do it. And I think the second thing would just be not don't compare yourself to others because um, I had a really uh, in a negative way. Don't compare because I compare myself very much so to um, Amir from Rabu. He's one of my close friends now. And um, I just listen to what he does. And I, I want to make sure that I am following the right steps and that I'm not letting anyone down, including myself. Like, how would you know you're trying your best if you haven't heard the best of others? So I listen to what he does on a regular day. I listen to what other female founder friends do um, or male founder friends. And I try to make sure that um, I compare myself in a healthy fashion because I'm not going to, my body can't handle not sleeping for eight hours. I'm like not one of those cute people who's like, I only slept four hours last night. That'll never be my humble brag. I like a great night of sleep. It helps me think. Mm. So don't compare yourself in unhealthy fashion like that. And if people are like, oh, you should work out more. That'll help you. If you don't want to do it, don't do it. <laughs> like, like no one has the right answer. It's really about you and try not to compare yourself in a negative way. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to slip into it because you're like, yeah, that person, oh, they're managing to work out every day and stay like I've gained like 15 pounds from foundership and not everyone has, but it's just like my stressful things. So you're like, oh, to figure out how to work out. It's okay being a B player in some things. You don't, that's probably the hardest part about starting a company is even if you used to be an A player in all things, which I would have, would have said I was, I instantly slipped into B and everything. I just couldn't keep everything up. And that was a super hard thing to overcome because I used to be that person who worked out every day. I used to be that person who could make dinner for my husband at least half the time because we split things 50, 50, but he has to pick up a lot of the slack where I fall. Uh, and, and that not being the person who, um, he could brag about who has it all together. Uh, that was very hard. So overcoming and recognizing that Steve, like no matter what, he's satisfied, he's happy, he's taken care of. Me, I'm satisfied, I'm happy, I'm taken care of. Like I can't compare myself to everyone else who seems, because no one really does have it all together. Yeah, they just there's no it. such thing There is having it all. That takes a second to learn. Yeah. But it's one of those things that once you recognize it and you're like, and if you start feeling comfortable in your own, um, this is what I can manage. <laughs> And this is my best. Like, cause that's what it is. You feel like I told you, I never feel bad as long as I know I'm trying my best. And I didn't feel like I was trying my best cause I wasn't being perfect in all things. Mm -hmm. So figuring out what my new best was took a little bit of time, but I got there. That's, yeah. yeah. I love that. And fig figure out. Yeah. So for anyone listening, who's interested in getting into it or, you know, thinking about either if they're not doing what they want to be doing and want to try something else, figure out what your new best is yeah. and try to pursue that. It's not what someone else's best is and then copy that. It's really, you really have to figure it out for your, for yourself. It would be so much easier if it was just, oh yeah, oh, here's the formula. Do these five things a day yeah. and you'll be great. I think but we all slip into it, whether it's being a new mother um, or being a new wife you compare yourself to like uh, different people who are wives who can, they're perfect at cooking or their houses are always clean or whatever. It's just not a um, healthy way of doing things. Figuring out what your normal is, is all that matters. 
Well, awesome. Thank you so much for coming in today. This was really fun. Where can we follow you? Where can we find out more on Twitter or Facebook or what's your website? Yeah. So vision.co vision with an H it's like fashion and vision pushed together. Um, I'm Samazon Smith on Twitter and Instagram because I'm tall. I'm an Amazon woman. Um, or just on LinkedIn. I'm Smith C Smith on LinkedIn because Sam Smith is the most basic name ever. (laughs) Awesome. Well, you can follow us on Twitter at funfailpodcast and you can also learn more at funwithfailure.com. Thanks for listening and until next time, go have some fun.